Welcome to episode 32 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern. My name is Stanislav here in Denver, Colorado, and with me across the table, it's the host with the most, Chain Beeps. Stan, I'm loving hosting you guys. I'm loving uh, eating cinnamon buns that I bought at the store instead of making you homemade waffles. I'm sorry, I lied. A lot of promises were broken. I mean, you know, I just, I I want to be the host, but I also don't want to spend an hour and a half cleaning up the kitchen. I'm still annoyed that I didn't get to drive around in your Miata. (laughs) (laughs) I I did make two pots of Chemex coffee this morning, though, so. That is a Herculean task, as we know. Also with us, directly to my right, it's the Mar Dude. Dave Harburger. I'm so tired, you guys. Yeah. I'm exhausted. You, you actually got sleep here. I know. I, I got up later than I do with the kids at home, but playing, playing Magic just wears you out. Yeah, I don't know how people grind GPs. It's something I'm sure we'll talk about later, but yeah. man. After three games of Magic, I, I want to take a nap or like, <laughs> cool, video game time right now, right? Last but not least to my left, it's the man who kept the dream alive, Zach Colhan. I came to GP Denver a boy. But now I leave a man. <laughs> well, hmm. On this week's episode, the Haha ha Boys are recording together from the same room in the same house in the same municipality. Yes. One zip code. So forgive the audio quality. We know it's not what we usually shoot for this week, but we're sitting around the same microphone. So forgive uh, any lack of professionalism that you come to expect from us. We kick off with a breakdown of last week's Modern Mocks Tournament. Then we dive into our weekend at GP Denver and brag about our sweet pickups from the prize wall. Finally, we wind down with a listener question. But first, some housekeeping. Big thank you and welcome to the newest patrons to the Dive Down Nation. Shoutouts this week go to Michael M., Brian M., Mike A., Sam G., and Levi. Also, thanks so much to our longtime pal Blue Cheese for moving up in support. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, I cannot believe we have hit the bonus episode stretch goal. I, I honestly thought it would take much longer. I wasn't even going to bring it up today. <laughs> I left it out of the notes. You didn't want people to actually know? I mean, you know. It's going to be a bunch of uh, stand-up for me and Stan, mostly. Just some outtakes we're working on. Workshopping, really. Yeah, it's your tight five on scratch. Exactly. <laughs> no, so my elevator pitch. Yeah. So look, look for us putting some surveys in the, the Patreon feed for topics that we'll talk about. I'm sure we'll get to that. Uh, what's, what's this month? It's July. So yeah, sometime in August, I guess we owe you all a bonus episode. Yeah, we're trying to figure out creative ways to deliver on that promise, whether it's just a plain extra episode in your feed. Maybe we'll do something for YouTube, include a video. We're brainstorming. We want to make sure it's really great and worth the money that our patrons have given us and their support. So really excited to see what comes out of that. And we're sure you're going to love it. Yeah, we just spent like two hours packing envelopes to send out uh, sometime this week. So look for your stuff coming soon. Mm -hmm. All right. With all that out of the way, I'm going to jump over to Zach, who's at the news desk, which is also, I guess, the desk I'm at. It's a, a news section, a news portion, an NP. Yeah. So we're going over a very small tournament result, or just a little bit of tournament results with the modern mocks. 
So no results for the bracket, just the Swiss. So here's the top eight from that. Uh, undefeated, 8-0 was Aldrazi Tron in first place. So isn't Eldrazi Tron, weren't they people just saying that it was kind of a meta deck and it was going to disappear pretty instantly after the banning of uh, Bridge from Below? Who told you that? Where did you hear that? The internet. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we are. Yeah. We're there right now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, the, the Toby Hankey article that we talked about last week yeah. said that uh, Eldrazi Tron actually didn't have that great of a matchup or that reliant of a matchup on you know, playing against Bridgevine, so... Yeah, like, I think it's still a popular deck. It's still people still want to want to grind it out, and I personally lost to it this weekend. So, yeah, I mean, it had like what? It was almost a sixty percent win rate for colorless Eldrazi strategies that for the non Bridgevine matchups. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think people might have just had a misconception on what it was designed to beat and what it was beating. Well, we certainly did because yes. we we assumed that it was just good against Bridgevine, and that turned out to be incorrect. Yes, it's a very good deck. Yeah. So in second, going 7-1, we had Mardu Death Shadow. This one is running a Tidehower Scholar. Yeah, I thought this was pretty cool. I've played with this deck a little bit and wasn't super impressed with uh, my results with it. Mm -hmm. It didn't have uh, the extra hand disruption out of Tidehower Scholar when we played around with it a little bit, Stan. But, um, you know, it's interesting to see it pop up again, and maybe maybe it can be a thing. Well, Mardu Colors gives you a really nice suite of removal, and I think having a diverse suite of removal, as well as access to, like, bolts or helix effects, is pretty relevant right now. Yeah, but let's talk about what's actually in this deck. No bolts. Oh. No helixes. Not even smiting helix? N no smiting helix. No, this is a Mardu Death Shadow, not Mardu uh, Pyromancer list, oh. so it's not playing as much off of uh, graveyards. What it is doing is basically trying to build a sort of mid-rangey grindy plan around Ranger Captain of Eos and Death Shadow and on Earth. And so the game plan generally that you want to do, from what I understand, is you want to try to get, go Ranger Captain into Giver of Runes and right. then sacrifice your Ranger Captain during the beginning of the next uh, your opponent's next turn to kind of hold them up mm -hmm. while you have Giver Runes coming online. And then you unearth your Ranger Captain on your next turn and put a uh, Death Shadow into play after that so that you have a Giver of Runes and a Death Shadow in play at the same time. So you kind of have like protection with it. This deck is even running Teamer Battle Rage, which was I was not trying out as a two of, which is kind of like harkening back to the old Jund list. So that's that's kind of cool to see. Yeah, so I did try playing a little bit of Esper Shadow when that first emerged because I had some Ranger Captains. And one of the things that I really missed was Teamer Battle Rage. So maybe this is kind of the evolution of the Death Shadow Ranger Captain combo and having access to Teamer Battle Rage felt to me pretty important for a Death Shadow strategy. Yeah, we often talk about how the ability to win out of nowhere or win on a turn is very important for a deck like that. And maybe you can go to a more grindy plan where you don't need that, but I think currently where the meta is, you do need the ability to just burst and win. Yeah. But maybe this is the Mario deck I've been waiting for since Mario Pyromancer wasn't great to me this weekend. <laughs> So next and third, we have Mono Green Tron, which still hanging around. I played against Mono Green Tron this weekend, and it is still as good as ever. Even with no new cards in Modern Horizons, it is a consistent good deck with a variety of threats and answers. Mm -hmm. Next and fourth, we have Blue Eye Control. Pretty standard for what we're seeing now. The deck hasn't evolved too much since the addition of the Planeswalkers in War and some control pieces in Modern Horizons. Force negation. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's kind of neat that we're seeing extra Narsets. This deck is running three of them. Only one Teferi Hero of Dominaria, which seemed to be really important to Blue-White Control for, you know, a long time. But it is playing two Teferi Time Rambler. 
Yeah, I thought the same thing. Like people were saying Teferi was the new best planeswalker in modern for a short period of time. And then, you know, how quickly the heroes fall. I haven't seen some discussion online about this. People talking about how many Teferi, five drop Teferi they're running. And some people are off it entirely. But the thing is, five mana is a lot. And Narset's only three. Yeah. And that's pretty big. It's not. I don't think it's that Teferi is bad. Mm-hmm. I think that it's just five mana. And I think that still one or two is perfectly reasonable. But Narset just kind of outclasses it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that meta is pretty fast exactly. right now. And so you, you really don't always get to five or you're not able to just do a single spell at five like you used to be able to with, with blue-eye control. And uh, so that's why I think people are doing that. And I think people even sideboard it out pretty aggressively. Yeah, for sure. Too. Yeah, this list also has one of Search First Conta, yep. which felt like we weren't seeing that card for a while, and it's nice to see it back. It was a card that I always thought was like a great two-drop for a deck like this. Yeah. Next, in fifth place, we have Jund, featuring all the red and sixes. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. Four of. And only three Lilian of the Veil. Yeah, yeah, that's what the split has been lately, and even when there's only three reds, it's still three and three. Like It's like they're playing a different card other than a Planeswalker there, so... Yeah. Um, Welcome to your new Jund Overlord. Yeah, I, for one, welcome. Yeah. A friend of the show, Jesse, had mentioned that they believe that Jund has no better turn two play than Run and Six. I don't know if that's factual or what, but, I mean, this is coming from a Jund player. They think it's better than Dark Confidant, even. It's pretty good, and the value it provides is just pretty unbeatable. Yeah, and notice that this particular list from the Mox is only running one Dark Confidant mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. now, which is kind of a surprise as well. I agree. And then, finally... What is that storm cloud on the horizon? What what name is written on it? What scripture? Six through eight were all Hogak decks. Yeah. And all different Hogak decks checking yeah. in at seven and one, which is kind of interesting. So yeah. we have Ma- Mati's on like a, the dredge list I essentially run. This is what uh, Sodek ran the other week. It's the exact same 75 down to the, you know, the sideboard. So I tested something similar this week. I only changed a few sideboard cards, and so I'll have a little bit to say about that in our conversation later. Yeah, but this one is only run. This is really just dredge with yeah. one hogak. Just dredge with hogak. So is it fair to call it a hogak deck? It only has a single hogak. Yeah, I think when I put this in the notes, I misread it quickly. <laughs> but this this one is just dredge plus one hogak. This the next two decks are hogak builds that are trying to adapt to this new bridge from below list world. Um, the first one. Run by player you mad bro. You mad bro? <laughs> I, I am now. <laughs> I would be if someone was still playing Hogan. Yeah. Uh, that has uh, Crypt Breaker and has Seder Wayfinder and has Claim Fame in it. We'll talk a little bit more about this deck uh, in a moment as far as what happened in the Modern Challenge yesterday that we heard about over Twitter. But it's 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 able to run a little bit more kind of interaction sure. in the main in the main deck and definitely in the sideboard than maybe the Bridgeline deck was able to with all the combo pieces. And then the last deck that came in eighth was a very similar similar list where it's mm. Hogak plus uh, Dark Blast plus Stinkweed Imp and Cryptbreaker. So people are trying lots of different things. They're trying some Dredge creatures in it. They're trying Hogak in Dredge. And they're also trying Cryptbreaker in some numbers to kind of provide a card advantage engine. So it's, it's safe to say that six was in sixth place was a dredge deck featuring Hogak, while seventh and eighth were Hogak-centric decks. I, I think that's fair. Okay. So we can talk a little bit about what happened with the Modern Challenge as well. There were some rumors, some dark rumblings going around on Twitter. Yeah, we didn't really have excellent data. All we had were some of the 
accounts that the players, specifically Canister, had after winning. Yeah, we were at that. We were at the GP yesterday, of course. So we weren't watching the stream, or if anybody was not the stream, but if anybody was streaming the challenge, didn't see a lot of chat on Twitter other than Canister talking about the fact that uh, he managed to go twelve zero. I'm sorry, is that twelve zero? Twelve zero. They run 12 rounds in this thing? So it's nine rounds plus a top eight, I think, is, is oh what gosh. the modern challenges are. That is yeah. a lot of magic. It's a GP. Yeah. It's in, in a single day. A single basically. day, yeah. Yeah. So. Sit down, buckle up for 12 rounds of online magic. Yeah. Well, you are working from home, so you could do it in your underwear. Yeah. Hope you like your desk chair. Hope you're sponsored by a gaming chair company. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sponsored by gaming chair company. <laughs> gaming chair company, get at us. <laughs> Um, so it's it's interesting because this is a lot like the the uh, the build that we talked about a moment ago that had for Seder Wayfinder, and that seems to be the the new engine that at least Canister has settled on to help get additional cards in the graveyard and kind of su uh, support Stitcher Supplier with kind of copies. Uh, I guess you could call them copies six through eight of Stitcher Supplier in sure. some ways, right? I mean, Wayfinder has the additional benefit, I believe, of being able to let you grab a land. And it's a 2-1, correct? Yeah. Uh, no, it's a 1-1. One, one. Ah, bummer. Yeah. yeah, so you can't really attack with it still. I mean, you can. It's better than maybe getting it, attacking it with a Hedron Crab sure. or something, well, which some of the other builds are doing too, <laughs> to kind of do mill stuff in over and over again. But there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. We talked a minute ago about how one of the decks was running Claim Fame as a one-of, right. which seems like a pretty cool card, actually, to be able to um, you know, get different utility cards back, but probably mostly get back a Stitcher Supplier run it run it back out and then you have that fame in the graveyard to be able to haste a hogak i assume once you actually finally get to cast one right and so also it gives you a creature to convoke with hogak because you do need the creature so yeah. if you only have one on the board you can get one out and then you have the ability to bring out your necropolis yep so still a lot of innovation and kind of building going on here um i think there's other things that will continue to evolve with the, this particular deck mm -hmm. Um, but it is definitely here to stay. It's getting plenty of results still. So so just so that if people aren't looking at these lists right now, to me it seems like the common theme is just getting cards in your graveyard and casting green or black creatures to then convoke back your Hogax. Is that kind of the general plan? Yeah. For all of these, the consistent theme? Absolutely. And then it's, of course, all the other graveyard loops that you get to do with Bloodgast and right. Gravecrawler yeah. and Carrion Feeder and all that stuff. The um, the particular list that Canister ran also has Golgari Thug. Yeah, right. has three of in it, so it has a Dredger. You know, Dom Harvey was on camera yesterday in an interview in the SCG Team Series talking about a deck that he was running that has Stinkweed Imp and Golgari Thug in Ooh. it to kind of dredge stuff out. So there's a lot of different people playing different builds here. I think the consensus is still trying to build around whether this is better than Dredge or not, or what advantages it has over Dredge or not. So we've talked about a few times if Dredge can maintain its own separate identity from Hogak. Do you think Hogak is just a permanent fixture in Dredge of some number now? I think that's a discussion we'll have later, and I think that it depends on what you define Dredge as, right? Sure. Like, so is a four Hogak deck with four Stinkweed Amp, like we see in this list, is that Dredge? Is that a Hogak deck? Is that just you know the new Dredge? Is that just a you know, combination of the two? And like I think... Dave mentioned just a minute ago is that like things are currently in flux and we'll see how things sort of settle out or right. if it's just or if it's just one of those decks that people can build in a variety of different ways mm -hmm. and kind of play in different ways. Okay. Because there's just, you know, there's so many creatures that do things along this play pattern and support this engine that 
you know, maybe it's kind of a personal preference or a consistency versus power type thing. Sure. But it's sort of like one more new super deck, right? right? right. Graveyard creature aggro. Where on the continuum are you for that? And kind of like a new pillar of the format, not new, but expanded pillar of the format, kind of like with the way that we think about Aether Vile decks. Sure. Sometimes we're like, there's a whole constellation of Aether Vile decks right, right. here. Who else is happy that they were able to buy some discounted Leyline of the Void in the last week or two? Yeah, definitely. Like, it seems like those cards are just going to remain relevant. Yeah, sure. All graveyard hate cards, for that matter. I mean, Tormod's Crypt is what, two bucks and 50 cents right now? Yeah, I got uh, three for a buck fifty each for a common. Hmm, gross. Um, it's an uncommon. Oh, okay. My apologies. Check yourself. Yeah. It was all I mean, it was also in like three commander decks though, which I don't even know if that's a real rarity. <laughs> commander uncommon. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I think that that was kind of what we had to talk about in the breakdown this week. Just aside from all of the many anecdotal pieces of personal experience we're about to all enjoy in the wind down. So <laughs> yeah, we usually record on Mondays when we have more of the weekend MTGO data available to us, but because of our travel schedule, we're recording this on Sunday morning. So some of the data that may be available, you know, come Monday or Tuesday is just not known to us yet. We wanted to give you this chemistry live. Yeah. <laughs> Feel it. It's palpable. The this tension. Sunday morning, we just packed some Patreon packages, mm. had three cups of coffee, mm. and woke up on an inflatable bed kind of chemistry. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> My bones. They're so good. <laughs> it is pretty wild to have us in the same room. I'm enjoying it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the video conferencing is just not the same. Totally. Also, your cat seems to be way more well-behaved now that we're oh, all together he talking. He sleeps all day. So, like, you know, this, this is the perfect time window to do this. That's right. We live in fear of him, constantly in fear of Darby. Your, your cat is also apparently up all night, wandering around <laughs> the alley because we had some middle-of-the-night encounters, me and Derby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Listeners, I swear this is true. I was sleeping in a room with a closed door, and Shane's cat opened the door to my room when it was closed. <laughs> meaning, meaning turned the handle. Turned the handle with his paws. He's a long boy, so he can reach. <laughs> we saw him do it. <laughs> All right, that wraps up this week's Cat Talk segment. Let's take a really quick break. And when we return, we're going to dive into Denver GP madness. The dive down boys take it down, sort of. Stay with us. Friday morning, 5.30 a.m., alarm goes off. My flight? in a little over three hours. My bags are packed, I shower. Dave has been up for two hours tending <laughs> to children. And trying to do modern leagues in his free time. <laughs> one hand on the comp, one hand on the kid. <laughs> Daddy's gotta cast a narset. Yeah, getting to Denver was his own series of trials and tribulations. Oof. So we had originally planned, Zach, Stan and I all traveled on uh, the same plane going out. Uh, we had originally planned to try to make it to an 11 o'clock tournament in Denver. And it was, uh, well, weather and United Airlines kind of conspired to get in our way a little bit. And we ended up sitting through about four hours of delays. Mm -hmm. And then right. almost getting bumped to a second flight. Zach barely made it on our plane. I I was put on standby, even though I had the ticket, and then I was able to schmooze my way on, and they closed the door behind me. How did you schmooze your way on? Uh, I walked like, up to jump seat. No, I I walked up to the lady at the kiosk. I was very polite with her. I said, "Hello, my friends are on there. We're going to visit someone else. I'd really appreciate if I could get on." I was very 
kind, very patient. The Riley Knight method. I, yes. I learned. So I presented myself as a gentleman, was treated as such. There you go. His main room for Zach. You gotta, you gotta stand in the back, sir. <laughs> Ma'am, please, I'm very big. There's six <laughs> toilets on this plane. You can sit on one of them. If someone needs one, you do need to get up. <laughs> but so we made it in the end. We yeah. did make it. We made it here at about, we made it at three o'clock. Yeah. Yeah, we made it in time to do a uh, modern sound event. Yeah, we yeah. did. We got off the plane, got in a cab. Had the cab take us directly to the venue, rolled our suitcases in, walked directly into the registration line, and <laughs> sat down, and had to play each other in the first round. Because yeah, we registered late. <laughs> yeah, we registered late, and so um, we they were like, yeah, if you, all four of you join, then you can just play against each other. But there was also another person in the line, Yeah. so I was the odd person out, and I was like, I already had done the double up that morning, uh, played poorly, and I was like, I'll just sit this one out and take a free loss. Yeah. So I got to play a nice, nice, nice guy named Ian. Hmm. But yeah, that's that's how the the GP weekend started. Was everyone rushing and uh, sitting down to play Magic immediately, sweating, yeah, sweaty, <laughs> yeah. yeah, dripping sweat. People's dilated, but I was there. I was in the moment, playing stand, <laughs> playing stand. <laughs> I was seeing through time. <laughs> Pretty early on, there were a, a enough. There were a bunch of listeners coming over and saying hi and greeting us and saying they liked the show, and it was. Super awesome to start experiencing that and, and to see people yesterday as well. It's really cool to get to meet the listeners and, and see everyone in real life. Yeah, so we appreciate everybody who came up to say hello. I got a button or sticker, stuff that I had with me on Saturday, not not so much Friday, but um, really appreciate people coming up to tell us how they uh, enjoy the show. And so that it means a lot to us. I don't know if we can uh, fully explain. No, I can't. I cannot fully explain. Yeah. On the first day of the GP, one of our listeners challenged me to a 1v1 in Turbotown. So, yeah. Uh, how did it end? Uh, it was, went to game three, but he beat me. I was playing Mono Red Phoenix. He was playing Blue White Control. Ah. So it goes. Fully so, foiled out Blue White Control. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get some percentage points here and there. Yeah, so congrats to David for beating me. Yeah. <laughs> and congrats to David, by the way, for making day two of the GP, which that's what he's true. doing right now. So oh, we had to hang out with David a lot over the weekend. and. It was cool to see his his progress through the, the main event too. Yeah, and he, and he said he's a fairly new Magic player, yeah. so to just to uh, you know roll up day two a standard GP, way to go, pretty sweet. Yeah, so shout outs there. So do you think this is evidence that listening to a weekly modern <laughs> podcast will also make you better in standard somehow by proxy? I I know you're being a little bit of a jokester, but I do think we have some best practices that transfer over. Not to toot your your our own horn, Zach. Right? No, I'm tooting my the Zach horn. Yeah, Zach yeah. horn. Condor calls for There's a couple of different things we could talk about here. Okay. So one is, you know, I know that there's a lot of anticipation from people about wondering what decks we actually chose and ended up playing over the weekend. I do think it might be worth it to talk a couple of minutes about um, what it's like to go to a GP, because I think that there's a lot of people, there's probably listeners who here have never gone to an event of this size. And so I think it might be worth it just to Give a little primer. Oh, yeah. GPs are kind of their own little kind of interesting magic environments, right? They have lots of different things that you can do. That's why they change them from being called GPs to being called Magic Fests. Right. Because they want to make them feel a little bit more like a convention as opposed to just an event. Which I think is a totally apt name change. It really feels like a little festival for nerds. Yeah. Yeah, because really the GP is just one small part of it. I mean, like, I didn't even know where the GP actually was because, you know, we were doing side events in one area. We went to the MCQ, an entirely different area. 
there's drafts happening in places, there's people selling and trading cards, there's people playing commander pods, there's it's just there's all sorts of stuff and you can experience exactly what you want. Yeah. And basically there's three different types of events that you can do at a Grand Prix. So the next time that you go to one or the first time that you go to one, I think it's a good idea to take a look at the schedule before you go and kind of plan out what you want your days to be like. Absolutely. So the three different types of things that you can do as far as events go are there's the main event, right? Every Magic Fest has at least one main event. Sometimes they do two quote-unquote main events these days if it's a really huge Grand Prix and they want to do multiple things. Mm -hmm. Vegas events tend to be like yeah, that. Sure. Those are the ones that tend to be expensive. Those are the ones that are multiple, like you're trying to qualify for a second day and kind of go on from there. So if you play the day one of the main event, it's probably going to be your whole day unless you're someone who has a cutoff of when you're ready to drop from the right. main event, right? The second kind of bucket of events are what are just kind of called side events. Right. Those are and scheduled side events is what I would call point out that those are. So there's a schedule that'll be put out for any Grand Prix or any Magic Fest, um, you know, a week or two before that explains all the different types of events that they have scheduled, the names of those events, the formats, the costs, and the prizes. Sure. Those are like mini tournaments that run the gamut as far as size goes. Something that was really interesting was, you know, we we played a lot of side events this week. Mm -hmm. And they're three round tournaments, mm -hmm. three round modern tournaments where you just get paid out based on your record, basically. Right. We'll yeah. explain prizes in a minute too, but yeah, it's kind of like having a bunch of FNM events right. strung out over the course of the day across pretty much every format imaginable. Yeah. But the number of rounds is not defined in the number of players. There's always three rounds to keep them on schedule. Right. Yeah. And usually uh, events like this have a pretty unique under themselves meta. It's mm -hmm. only three rounds. So I find this is anecdotal. But I find that people tend to play more off-the-wall aggro decks as opposed to maybe more established combo or control decks. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know if I don't know if I have experienced that myself, but I think that you will see the kind of decks that anyone wants to play. Like I played, for example, on day one when I was just sort of messing around a little bit, is I played like an Esper Mentor deck just to have a little bit of fun with it. But it was definitely something that I wouldn't bring to the MCQ right now. Yeah. Right. And these events for us, at least at Denver this weekend, had around 100 people in them, or 125 yeah, 100 people plus, in, yeah. in, in them. And that's that's a really big FNM, right? And it's also, <laughs> you know, it turns out that the um, the MCQ, which is one of these scheduled events as well, typically Magic Fests have a, have a lot of scheduled MCQs, at least one every day of different formats. That also had 150 people this, this time. Yeah, and if you're listening and you don't know what an MCQ is, that's the Mythic Championship Qualifier, which is essentially the new version of a Pro Tour Qualifier. Um, which they replaced kind of the old preliminary Pro Tour qualifier, which would kind of be maybe 30 to 50 people at your local game store. They've eliminated that this year. They've gone to now having essentially what our Pro Tour qualifiers, now called the Mythic Championship qualifiers, and those will happen at larger events. Like they happen pretty much at every GP now, right? Yeah, I'd say for sure, yeah. And then they scheduled them at sort of larger game stores like in Chicagoland, like Pastimes or Nerd Rage or probably run something like an MCQ. Right. You need a lot of space. Yes. So the scheduled events are kind of a big component. And so you should look in advance for what you want to do. The next kind of tear down are what are known as kind of on-demand events mm -hmm. or in the, you know, in the poker world, you would call it a sit and go, where basically you put your name on a list and then whenever it gets to eight people, you get up to uh, the, whenever it gets to eight people, the event fires, right? So then you just start it up. You wait in a line. You get a buzzer, basically, like yeah. you're waiting for raw yeah, food yeah, yeah. for a table at a restaurant. Where's my club sandwich? Yeah. And then when they buzz you, you come back to the gathering point and you can, and your event starts. And so those just go until they kind of like 
as they happen, they just go the whole weekend. And those can be everything draft, whatever format you want. There's just a list that you sign up and sometimes those fire, sometimes they don't fire. And that's just kind of how it is. So on-demand events are really fun. Um, and they, but they can be a little bit kind of like you have to wait for them for a long time. So sometimes you end up having more time to spend, uh, to kind of fill while you're waiting. The last thing that you can do is what's called a turbo town event, mm -hmm. which is sort of like a heads up play where you go get some tickets. You can find someone who's in the same area for the same format you want to play and sort of, you kind of both put your tickets into the, the pot. You play against each other in one match and one person gets more tickets than the other one. And that's kind of, it's almost like being randomly queued against someone while playing in a video game online. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think maybe to zoom out real quick for anybody, our listeners who haven't been to a GP or considering going to one, I think a big takeaway is you don't have to be playing in a big event. You don't have to be doing anything big, but it is smart to plan ahead and go, oh, I want to go there, buy some cards, and I do want to do the three o'clock sealed win a sheet or something like that. Right. So you, you don't have to be all in, but if you want to do one thing, try to plan around that one thing. And it does pay to look ahead at the artist list as well and be like, hey, what cards do I have of the artists that are going to be there? You know, what's maybe in my my cube I want to develop? What's in my favorite decks I like to play and, and, and take your cards? I like today, I get to get my uh, Conflagrates, I believe, my Cathartic Reunions, uh, the new Narcomoeba art for my Dredge deck. Those artists are there, so that'll be fun to get those signed. Very cool. It's also a pretty decent place to sell cards. A lot of these vendors will have posted lists of their buy list prices. And I feel like the buy lists I see at GPs or even SCG opens are a little bit more generous than sometimes the buy lists I would get at my LGS. I totally agree. And I think that's because of the demand is right there. Yeah. So they can pay a couple bucks extra for a Snapcaster because they know they'll move it right away. Mm -hmm. And also they don't have to bring it back with them. Yeah. Yeah. So the way that the events work, just to let everybody know, finally, there is a little bit of an economy here that you should keep in mind when you come to a, a Grand Prix or yeah. a Magic Fest. And that is, you know, the events cost money and they pay out the prizes in tickets, right? So it's sort of like winning on Magic Online where you yeah. get a currency that you can't really exchange into cash. Yeah. Not easily, at least. Not easily. Yeah. And you get this kind of, um, you get these voucher tickets that you can then go use at the prize wall mm -hmm. that is run by Channel Fireball in the case of all the Magic Fests at this point in time, but was run by different vendors at different point in time in the past. And what you can do is buy all kinds of different things. And they have lots of different things. It is kind of a limited selection, but they tend to have packs from recent standard, standard sets. They have master sets handy yeah always a they, master set they have singles as well they have for people who get up to really high totals of tickets over the weekend they have things like the giant size cards yeah. which yeah. are kind of like the top end of it sometimes they have uncut sheets if you get into like a really high range as well with the number of tickets that you want you can get an uncut sheet like, of something like 1500 tickets or something maybe even 3000 yeah. yeah i mean well you you spike a bunch of tournaments yeah. like you just, you just put the basketball in the hoop like over and over again and get yeah. like 10 tickets out Chucky e. Cheese. Chucky e. Cheese. <laughs> I did really well at Ski Ball this week and I got a giant magic card. <laughs> That'd be a fun deck to double sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> so you do have to make sure that you set aside time at the end of your time there to use the tickets that you that you get because they're not trends, they're not good at a different magic fest Exactly. And you yeah. have to use them. You can't turn them to cash or anything. So just make sure you save time to go and do that. And that's what we have to do after we record this podcast, is yeah. go back over to the space and spend all our tickets. And singles sell out quickly. So mm -hmm. if you want a single, do not sleep on it. Just grab it. Well, I mean, if you slept on it, probably get a little curled up on your pillow. You can so. double sleep it. Yeah, speaking of singles, so one of the things that I did ahead of this tournament was buy three Leyline of the Void 
from an LGS just so that I can have them handy. And I knew at, at most I'd want to play three this weekend. But then I kind of said to myself, if and when I get some ticks, I'll exchange them for one of the new Leyline of the Voids at the prize wall. And I was able to do that on Friday because I did really well in the first side event that we did and immediately was able to trade it toward a ley line and have tickets, tickets left over. So like sometimes it's a nice way when we talk about planning is like kind of think about if they have certain cards, what am I playing toward? Right. And having like that be part of your goal and your plan. Yeah, I to relate to what I said earlier, I think the biggest thing for a GP to have a good time is to plan and coordinate and not to just wing it. Yeah. And I, I don't know if this is the best place to discuss it, but I feel like you kind of have to go in with the understanding that the EV necessarily isn't amazing. Like right. the amount of money you're spending to play converted into how many tickets you get might sometimes equal out like you're paying more for a card than you would if you were to just buy a card in cash. But I think the experience of playing and the environment that you're in is also a big part of it as well. I found that drafts seem to have really high EV. I've known people who they win one round and then the top the the, the top four a single elimination draft the top four split and then the EV is really good there. Yeah, I've done that a bunch of times. I I that is one thing I would say about the side events at uh, Magic Fest is that they do sort of incent you with the way that they give they're willing to give out tickets for draws mm -hmm. to do intentional draws here and there. So they'll they'll just kind of be like you know, single elimination draft. If you win the first round, then the top four splits, everybody gets basically 10 or 12 packs of standard right, for right. just splitting. Um, in modern, if you, in the modern side events that we did, if you went, won your first two rounds and decided to drop, they would count it as a draw and they would give you like kind of halfway between two wins and three wins. And so it's just kind of like, you get to just play two rounds, you get tickets, you get to move on to the next event. So they, they do kind of incent like moving through a lot of event, events with people, which makes yeah. sense. They're selling tickets to events. Yeah. Right. But and uh and usually the single elimination draft are on demand. So yeah. like you if you like draft, if you just want to get a bunch of cards on the latest draft set, you can just keep rolling through those on-demand drafts, win around, try to split with the other top four people and move on your ways and just keep grinding them. So what kind of events did we play this weekend? I only played modern. So yeah, so we all only play modern. Yeah, I did the double up on Friday morning before the other three co-hosts arrived because they were supposed to arrive for that, but the aforementioned plane delay caused an issue. So I did the double up, which essentially means you pay twice as much and you win twice as much. Can I say one of my biggest heartbreaks of this weekend was missing that double up because one of the perks you get for playing in some events mm. are promo cards. And the promos for GPs this season include full art lightning bolts. Beautiful. And I already had two from a previous GP I went to, and I was counting on getting two this weekend. But the double up on Friday morning, which was supposed to get me number three, I had to miss. And I ended up only picking up a third one. So I'm, I still need one more full art lightning bolt to complete my playset and be a real modern player. I mean, you probably get one today with your prize ticks, right? I don't think they have it with the prize wall. They don't have it with the prize wall, but you can find somebody to trade you. And yeah. some dealers have them for sale too. I actually traded uh, some of our, our uh, listeners yeah. for promos as it turned out yesterday. And now I have a place at You traded in our listeners for promos? <laughs> <laughs> with our listeners. We need the downloads. They had bounties on their head and they turned them in. <laughs> How many promo bolts can I get for this one? <laughs> Partner. Yeah, this cattle rustler. <laughs> We also played in an MCQ. So basically, we played in modern side events that were scheduled mm. and the MCQ on Saturday night. We sure did. And so that's what we're going to talk about now. Yeah. 
So do you want to just talk about the main event for us, the MCQ? Yeah, I think so. I think we should talk about the decks we decided to play for the weekend. Oh. Let's talk about that a little well, bit. Did we, all, did we all play the same decks all weekend? Oh, we, could, we could list them, Yeah, what we did. Well, I didn't play the exact same deck all weekend long, I but I basically rotated between three decks around yeah. the weekend. Yeah, so uh, Stan, you go first then. Yeah, so I came on Friday with Mono Red Phoenix put together with the plan of just running that throughout the day. Because it's fast, it's aggressive, it doesn't necessarily require a lot of thinking, so I was able to just kind of get through it. Um, because I knew after a travel day, I didn't want to have to make my toughest decisions of the weekend. Uh, and I did pretty well with Mono Red Phoenix going into it. It was a nice way to kind of warm up my magic mind. Uh, and then on Saturday, I played Skelemental in a morning side event, in a three-round side event. Did not do very well with it, and one of the things I decided was, depending on how I do with Skelemental on Saturday morning, that would determine whether I play it in the MCQ or if I go to the old faithful Is It Phoenix, which has kind of been my tournament deck for the majority of this year. Um, long story short, I went one and two with Skelemental and ended up playing Is It Phoenix in the MCQ. So I also went into Friday uh, playing, planning to play Mono Red Phoenix. I did bring Mono Red Phoenix Maru Pyromancer and Blue White Control with me, but I managed to get some side games in with all the decks um, and kind of decided that I just wanted to start with Mono Red Phoenix and see how it went. I went 2-0-1 in the Friday afternoon event. It was kind of like, all right, I think I feel pretty good about this. Mm -hmm. It felt pretty powerful and just decided that that's what I was going to play all day Saturday. And so that's what I played all day Saturday. And we'll talk a little bit more about how that went after this. On Friday, I played Mono Red Prison and got absolutely obliterated going 0-3. Uh, round one against Stan, just didn't get there, a little fast. And then uh, two and three, I played Elves and Slivers, mm. which are, yeah, and I lost to End the Battlefield effects that break through the prison. But I didn't really misplay that much, and it just felt like really interesting matchups, so I stuck with Mono Red Prison the rest of the weekend. Yeah, so I ran through a number of side events this weekend. So I started with Mono Red Phoenix, just to test it out again, have some fun with it on a Friday morning, Friday afternoon. I played a couple of rounds with uh, the Esper Mentor slash Esper Spells deck. And then for the MCQ and for a Friday morning, Saturday morning event rather, I chose Dredge, like I mentioned last week. Hogak Dredge. Yeah, I did run a single Hogak just to test it. I basically cribbed the main deck from uh, Sodak and tweaked the sideboard a very small amount, which I'll talk about when we get to the MCQ. So let's talk about the size of the MCQ. What, there was maybe like 150, 175 people there? Yeah, good turnout. Yeah. It was I actually, was expecting more. Yeah. I was, was expecting between 200 and 250. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and which meant it went for six rounds of Swiss on Saturday. That, that started at 3 p.m. Yeah, so they, I was surprised it started that late, but they are having the top eight this morning. So that's how that works, at least at this MCQ. And... Spoiler alert, none of us made the top eight because we're here recording this podcast <laughs> instead of being at the top eight. <laughs> Shocking, I know. Yeah. But it's, a special tease, some of us got closer than others. Yeah. The dream was alive for a good portion of the afternoon. And so if you haven't been at an event quite like this, they are more serious. They are at a competitive rules enforcement level which means you can't rewind things. It's not like playing at your FNM. You have to be sure to announce certain triggers. You have to be sure to keep maintain the board state correctly. Uh, it's 
also uh, mutual responsibility of both players to do a lot of these things to maintain you know game state and board state and understand what's going on. Yeah, and that's that mutual responsibility is kind of new. Right. So there were a couple instances that across the day where one person forgot a trigger and the other person also forgot a trigger. And, you know, it used to be that only one person would get a warning in that case. And now sometimes both players can get a warning, warning basically for failing to maintain a game state. I think that that's something to just keep in mind. I find that the best thing to do is just over communicate yeah. with your opponents. You know, I was playing a deck that had creatures with prowess right. in it and you don't actually have to announce that prowess went off, goes off when no. you're playing. But I honestly, every time do, because if you don't, when you go to combat every single time you play against somebody, they go, were you supposed to announce all those triggers or do you get those triggers? Was that a May trigger? And it's, it's easier to just go right trigger, trigger, and then move on and, and kind of, I feel like it helps the, the vibe or the mood of the match too. If you're not just spell, spell swing, what is it? Well, I don't know. You can guess it. you know, what is it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's definitely the case. I mean, like you, you want to be a player. I mean, I think most people want to be players that other people want to play with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the first, that's a big key. Like be that person. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that's definitely what casual spikes are or what we imagine them to be is someone that you enjoy playing with and against. Yeah. I kind of like this new shift in the rules where both players are responsible for keeping uh, the board state you know, clear and everyone being responsible for maintaining triggers because it creates less of a gray area for people to either angle shoot, for people to manipulate or withhold, you know, relevant information. And sure. it, I think it creates an equal playing field for, for everyone, which is kind of where the rules seem to be going over time and the trend for the rules committee in general. I have a couple other tips as well. So one one tip that I have just as far as communicating too is I think you should should talk to your opponent about the life totals that you oh, yes. have and that they have uh, yeah. frequently yes. and kind of just at no, like normal intervals. Like right. I think sometimes at the end of a turn where nothing happened, it's still fine to just go, I have these life totals. What do you have? Yeah, me at 13, you at 10. Yeah. yeah. I think it's good to check in on it a lot to make sure that things don't get missed. I mean, there's a lot of things that access the life, mm -hmm. life oh, yeah. and change it in modern, Lands. right? Lands yeah. do it all the time and casting spells with Phyrexian mana. And yeah. so it's, it's good to just double check things with people, even if they have a more, even if you have a more accurate one than them or they have a more accurate one than you, that's what you want to find out. Absolutely. So. Yeah. For me, a really easy shortcut has been to just double check both players' life total anytime anything changes. So yeah. even if it's, you know, maybe the turn one fetch, I'm not confirming that they're still at 20, but, you know, <laughs> after like turns two or three, anytime anything happens, I just double check both life totals. Yeah. One thing that happened to me this weekend was, you know, when someone casts a surgical extraction and you're so busy worrying about making sure that, you know, you get the card out of your graveyard, you show your hand, you hand them your deck. And you don't remember to write down their two life loss, like Dave mentioned, for mm -hmm. mana spells. So, you know, then the next time I'm like, oh, I, I have you still at 18. They're like, no, I'm, I'm at 60 and I cast that, uh, you know, that Phyrexian mana spell. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. So just both people, I mean, both people definitely have to maintain that in competitive rules enforcement. But that's something that I think that you probably want to just integrate into your regular gameplay. Yeah. Speaking of rules enforcement, we're going to talk about... Uh, mana in your mana pool and how to track that oh Remember yeah that? so are you about to like come out and say that i was so so wrong i'm about to say that i was right and that's all we need to talk about yeah uh, so they mentioned how you can't use dice anymore but the reason for that was because it can be knocked over and the numbers could change you can use yeah. glass beads yeah and that means you can use candy or berries as well so prepare for some jelly beans in your next mcq boys you, you've been really banging that drum the last couple of weeks it makes me feel good about myself i want jelly beans, beans. I will say no one I played against, myself included, 
really was up on that rule change. Like people were still using dice. I was using a lot of shorthand with my mana morphos. I mean, I was playing a deck with mana morphos, but all I ever said was red, red. Right. So it sort of doesn't matter as much. Um, I did play against someone on Sramos and we used, um, we did use paper to keep track of storm count, mm. which was, I think, kind of important as well. Right. Uh, I put it in my head, Metamorphos, so I ripped two pieces of paper off my life pad and gave it to him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was complicated. I played an Amulet Titan player, and, you know, there's a lot of floating mana there. Right. And that was complex. So we, we did use paper for that. I could tell that for that player, it was something new for him, and I don't think he particularly enjoyed it, but it, it's just, I think, necessary because you can, if you just have stuff, you know, floating, literally floating over the table in everyone's collective memories, you're going to forget stuff and mistake stuff. Oh, absolutely. And it's a lot easier to take something off the table than to take a dice. And di yeah, it's, I get the clarity. The dice were neat, especially when people had like a little card that would say blue mana or red mana. That was fun, but I think this is just, less mistakes will be made this way. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, the the, the judges will make things clear before these types of events. Absolutely. They're very communicative. Um, there's usually multiple judges there. There's table judges. I don't know if that's the official name, but you can just hold your hand up and shout judge if you ever have any question or confusion or anything happened during the game that you think was a little bit weird. Uh, be You know, feel free to call a judge. I think we've mentioned this in the past, but judges are there to you know, solve miscommunications and solve questions and answer your questions. So it's not, you're not accusing someone of cheating. You're not accusing someone of being a bad player of doing something incorrect. You're just making sure that everything happens the way it should. And both players should want that. Absolutely. And then if you want to appeal, they make it very clear. You can appeal to the head judge and they usually are a more experienced judge and their decisions will be uh, considered final. And so the judges are there to help and don't forget that. Great. So do we want to talk about how we did in the uh, MCQ? Let's start from uh, worst to best. Yeah. So I'll go last. Yeah. <laughs> Foreshadowing. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start because it's, it's been weighing on me, and I, I need you guys to, to to help me out, make me feel positive. A little shoulder rub. Yeah, just make me feel good again. <laughs> I'm just gonna get up from the table right here and go around and rub Shane's shoulders. Okay. Yeah. Oh, man, Sexual oils. It. Oh man. Yeah. So um. It's okay, buddy. So I, I decided to run Dredge out uh, this weekend. So I played a total of eight rounds between the three round event on, on Saturday morning and I played five rounds of the MCQ of the six. So that gives away that I dropped after round five. I went one and seven on the day. Is that, is that correct? That's oh correct. yeah, one and seven. Yeah, so I won a single round and a single game. No, single round, yeah. And so just, man, I'm, I don't think that, I don't think Dredge is bad. I don't think that I, played particularly poorly or better or any differently than I normally play Dredge. I have some experience with it. It felt like Dredge games, but it ran cold. Like Dredge is a deck where you don't always have a ton of agency. I mean, you there's decisions to make. We've talked about this in the past, but a lot of it is what happens when you're turning cards from the top of your deck in your graveyard. You know, a Cathartic Reunion bricked early. Uh, you know, I, I mauled a ton. Just a ton, a ton, a ton, and they were they were smart molds. You know, I think you know when you're playing a deck like Tron and you're playing a deck like Dredge that has an engine that needs to function with a certain type of cards, you got to mold them. And sometimes even when you go to four, uh, you're not going to get there. Or that turn two cathartic reunion that you have a single dredger with on your four just bricks, and so you just have nothing going. Saw a lot of hate. I saw a lot of hate, and and I even saw a main deck hate. I saw people still have 
some main deck surgical extractions. And what they told me was, yeah, I just haven't changed it since uh, since Hogak got banned. And I'm like, well, great. <laughs> I'm feeling the, the repercussions of this. And, and Shane, this is unfortunate because last week in our conversation, we yes. were talking about maybe we can capitalize on people taking some of that graveyard hate out because yeah. Hogak is gone. And maybe there's been a collective sigh of relief. Yeah. But I don't think any of us really saw that happen. I don't think there's been a sigh of relief at all. I think everyone is still holding their breath clenched. <laughs> well, look at the the mocks. Right, yeah. There was still three Hogak decks yeah, in them. Or Dredge yeah, two. They, I mean, they banned Bridge from Below, but clearly the deck is still putting up results. They did not ban Graveyards. Yeah. <laughs> graveyards so no longer legal. Still a zone of play. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was rough. Like, I... Like an example of just how rough it was for me this weekend, you know, I've told this story to these guys once or twice because this is my only bad beat story I'm going to do in this podcast. So I was playing versus Hollow One. Yeah. Turn games two and games three. They had the turn zero ley line. Um, and I did have early or turn one nature's claims. And then on their turn four, then they have four mana and they slam down another ley line from hand. <laughs> so it was pretty rough. Um, I did not win that match. And that's just, I mean, that's just what you see. You see hate, and unless you're prepared to beat hate or make them not have it or hope they don't have it. Knock it out of their hand, maybe? Yeah, then you're not going to win with Dredge, typically. So, yeah, Dave, what was your experience like? Well, it wasn't much better. I'll say that. So I, you know, I went 2-0-1 in the Friday afternoon event, like I said, with Mono Red Phoenix. And I was like, I'm locking it in. Let's just do this and see what happens. But the next day, I went and played in the uh, 11 o'clock, like as a warm-up tournament, and went 0-3 with Mono Red Phoenix, and didn't really think about changing decks at all. I was kind of like locked in. I'm getting reps. I was like, I'm just going to do this. Um, I lost in that tournament to uh, Mono Green Tron. I lost to Humans, and I lost to Blue Eye Control. So three really good decks. One of them that I feel like I should have had a pretty good matchup against, one of them I should have had a bad matchup against, and one that I feel like is kind of 50-50. But I was going into it, and then in the MCQ, I actually drew the first round by <laughs> out of the 150-whatever players there were. Yeah, I walked into the room like one or two minutes late, and I see Dave just sitting at a table all by his lonesome, and I'm like... Oh man, you got the buy, didn't you? <laughs> Everybody was high fiving me when I got the buy, though. Well, yeah, that's yeah. awesome because your opponent match win percentage is like slightly yeah. improved since you got that round one win. Right. It's so uh, it's it's funny, but yeah. So I got the round one buy, and I was like, okay, well, get a second to like kind of sit and bring it together a bit after after going 0-3 in the earlier event, which again was kind of like it is what it is. Um, but then I lost to Sramos. I lost to. Uh, Eldrazi Tron. Uh, I beat Boggles and then I lost to Mono Green Phoenix. So, our Mono Green Phoenix, Mono Green Tron. <laughs> That's a new deck. <laughs> yeah. Check it out, Mono Green Phoenix. Um, and then I dropped at, at 2 3, essentially. I was like, I don't really want to try and play this last round. I was feeling a little bit burned out because essentially I had gone 1 and 6 on Saturday right. with Mono Red Phoenix. And so, my record for the whole weekend was 3 and 6 of the deck, which is like, uh. <sighs> So here's a bit what I learned about it. And Stan and I actually got to talk about it a lot in between rounds, which is one of the things that, like I talked about last week, I wanted to play a deck that somebody else in the group had experience playing or was going to play so that we, I could just chat with people, with someone who had had a lot of reps with it too. And, you know, it, I mean, I still think it's a good deck. I think that what um, I kind of found was a couple of things is like a lot of sort of regular burn problems just happened to me. Mm. Like I just ran out of gas. Like a couple of, a couple of times, I just top deck two lands in a row. 
I basically won. So I think of the six rounds that I lost, I think I won game one in five of those rounds, like decisively. I had a lot of turn three kills, especially in game one against decks that were either sort of not prepared or kind of mulled uh, badly against a burn deck and didn't realize what they were facing. And so the deck is really powerful. Um, I also had a bunch of kind of game twos and game threes where I got people down to two, somewhere between two and four life on turn uh, on turn three. So the deck was working. It was just I couldn't I wasn't closing. Sure. And I think mostly what was happening was I was just kind of running out of running out of cards or running out of lands or or kind of breaking off of uh, light at the stages and things like that. You know, the other thing that happened big time is that. There are people out there who have very, very effective cyborg cards against Mono Red Phoenix in the form in a couple of different forms. One is that Graveyard Hate is pretty good against Mono Red Phoenix. It's not great, but it's okay because it takes you off of late game faith, faithless looting. It takes you off of being able to flashback a flame dart, which is pretty good. It, finale of Promise. Fin, well, yeah, Finale. It takes out Finale of Promise. I literally didn't cast a Finale of Promise all weekend because oh. I, just, I just sideboarded it out every game after game one every single time because people are bringing it in. Um, and then the last thing is, of course, it takes you off of like a broken Phoenix plan and you have to leave the Phoenixes in the deck because you have to, you have to play them. Right. Now, Stan and I talked a bunch of times about how with mono red Phoenix, you do tend to hard cast Phoenixes a lot more often than you do on, um, on blue red. Cause it's kind of your, the top, top end of your curve as well. I mean, so that's still good, but, um, so Graveyard is like marginally good against some people always bring it in. So you and I, one of the deck changes we talked about ahead of this weekend was making your deck a little less vulnerable to Graveyard Hate. Yeah. Because we took out our Bedlam Revelers yeah. and replaced them with Seasoned Pyromancers. Yes. And I actually really, I really like that change still. Um, I had Bedlam Reveler in the side, in, on Friday night I had Bedlam Reveler in the deck and I had to take it out every every time after game one because everybody brought in Graveyard Hate, whether it was Relic Pro or Progenitus or Leyline of the Void or whatever. I had, always had to take it out. On Saturday, Spiral felt really good. There's a lot of cases where you don't get the extra value off of the tokens in Moderate Phoenix though, so it really is just kind of like draw more cards. Yeah. Sure, yeah. But it was nice to, nice to know that I had two cards that I didn't have to take out every time. Mm-hmm. So I would stick with that change. I think it's better than playing Dreadheart Arcanist too, which is another thing that people are, are doing in Mono Red Phoenix, just because I think it's pretty, you gotta have a way to get around the graveyard hate that's there. Would you consider Phoenix a graveyard deck? It's just kind of gets splash hate sure. from it. Okay. Like it makes it harder to, to, to keep your engine going again because you can't cast Faithless Looting twice. Right. That's the main thing. And then there's a couple cards that cast out of it, like I said, like Flame Dart and things sure. like that, where honestly, Flame Dart is super important. Lava and different. Dart. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Lava Dart. Thank you. I'm trying Fire to remember. Slash. Right. Lava Dart. Um, where you don't want, you want to be able to sacrifice a mountain to get an extra point of damage and then get two more prowess triggers and swing in, basically. So it, it's a really important card in that deck. And it's one of the worst cards in some ways because you have to sideboard it out every time someone brings in Graveyard sure. Hate. So I, I do have, there's a, a whole other uh, area of sideboard cards that were much more effective against me. And that was oh. basically anything that gains life, mm -hmm. right? So there's a ton of different cards out there that are anti, because, so one thing that makes, Phoenix is super explosive. You can kill somebody on the turn three. You can almost kill somebody on turn three where they really can't recover on turn right. four. And it happened a lot. I think I had at least three turn three kills, mm -hmm. maybe more. I had at least double, you know, more than that in in like turn four kills that were good or things that were very in the range. Or if I had top decked a, um, a Lava Spike instead, I, I would have gotten them. But I had a bunch of decks where, for example, I played a Humans 
deck that of course brought an Oriac champion against me and I'm just dead right. to that card in some ways. I, you can still almost outrun it because I managed to, um, so my, the, the game I had where they played a turn two Oriac champion, I had two turn two Phoenixes. Mm. And I, I, when I had that draw, I was like, okay, I'm going to play a Monastery Swiftsbury on turn one and two turn two Phoenixes on turn two. I don't know how I'm going to lose this game. Right. And they go Oriac champion. They go uh, turn two champion of the parish or Oriac champion. Seems good. It was extremely good for them <laughs> because it just let they gained like ten or twelve life off of it. And right. I had them I still got them down to five at uh, one point in time or something something in that range, which was super duper close to be able to get there. Um, you know, Tron can bring in Thrag Tusk, which is a little bit of a problem. Uh blue white is running timely reinforcements yep. and it has an extra one in the in the sideboard. So it's just kind of anything that has incidental life gain really can be problematic. Black decks will play collective brutality. Cobra's very good against that yeah, deck. I didn't I didn't play against any of those, but it is true. It's it's out there as well. It, it almost like get all three modes seem very relevant against Mono Red Phoenix. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah, it's basically burn and they're it's good against burn, right? Yeah. yeah. Um and the last problem I had is that it's actually a more complicated deck to mulligan with than I think people think it is. And so the one thing I wanted to say was, you know, Stan and I talked about this a lot again, that you know, I I've had good results with Mono Red Phoenix online and you've had good results in, in tournaments, but the one thing that Stan had to remind me with was we did some kind of like keeper mall discussions while we were going to get coffee or things like that in between rounds. And, you know, Stan kind of reminded me that you really want to keep two types of hands. One is one that has a one drop prowess creature with uh, spells mm -hmm. that you can cast. Yeah. Even if it's just one land in that hand, I think I'll keep that. Right. And so you that's because you're a really aggro deck and you'd want your threats to be there. It does make you super vulnerable to removal. But one thing that's interesting is that I didn't get punished at all for keeping hands like that all weekend. I didn't play against very many Lightning Bolt decks. I played against a lot of decks that were a little bit vulnerable to creatures or were trying to do their own aggro plan. So that that aside, um, the other hand that you can keep is something where you know you're going to have Phoenixes coming to play on turn two. One or two Phoenixes is fine, but that's the other plan you can keep. So if you think about the typical hands you get out of a deck like this, those are kind of two archetypes of hands. The one that that leaves out that you have to mull that you maybe feel like you don't want to is a deck that's basically a burn, a good burn hand. Mm -hmm. So if you pull a hand that's like light up the stage, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lava spike, and three mountains, you're like, it's tempting. It's tempting because you feel like you can you can do stuff, you can draw extra cards, you know, off of light up the stage and stuff like that. But it's just not aggressive enough to put you in the zone where you're going to be pressuring them on turn three. You put that hand back. Yeah, you have to. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So if you don't have a creature-based threat, essentially, or plan to get a creature-based threat in play, you have to put the hand back. Yeah, it's a little bit more of a creature deck than a burn deck, which makes me wonder, having never played Boros Burn or Naya Burn, was that true in that deck where you had to ship back a hand that didn't have, like, Goblin Guide or Swiss Spear? So Shane and Zach have both played Burn a good amount. Um, I wouldn't all the time, especially, like, a hand like that in Burn, I would keep because you have a higher density of spells. Right. Yeah, I guess you're not running any burn spells that just deal one damage. No. All of your spells deal three, if not four. Yeah, um, Searing Blaze will sometimes only deal one if you don't have a landfall trigger. Right. Like it's one to a creature as well, so it's kind of two in that sense. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. But rarely is it just you rip a, like a Lava Dart. It's like, well, crap. Usually it's Helix, uh, Boros Charm, etc. You have a, a lot more damage in there. 
Yeah. Yeah. The thing about Lava Dart in Mono Red Phoenix is it's essentially an enabler, right? right. It's either enabling Phoenix or it's enabling prowess triggers, sure. which is sometimes way more valuable than the actual damage it's dealing. Oh, it's definitely way more valuable unless you happen to be up against something that has a lot of X ones. Like I got some good value off of Lava Darts against humans a couple times. Yeah. I got great value off of Gutshot and Lava Dart when I played Hardened Scales on Friday, for example. Nice. I could kill multiple creatures and stuff like that, and then and also make my prowess guys big. And so bye bye. Um. Yeah, I, I think it's good. So to get back to the question that you had about if I would yeah. change anything about the deck, I don't think I would change anything about the deck necessarily. I think sure. the sideboard could be worked out a little bit more to figure out if there's a, some better threats to board in or maybe there's some extra burn that I should bring in. Like, would this deck ever run Skullcrack? I don't know, maybe. Like, something to prevent people from gaining life could be a possibility if you feel like that's what's going on right now. A possibility. Possibility. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. Um, so I would still play the deck because I felt like I got so close so many times and just, again, maybe just ran bad on the top decks, which sure. this, this is a deck that top decks. So yeah. you just kind of have to be okay with that. Yeah. But, um, that was kind of how the, the weekend went for me. Yeah. In terms of the sideboard, some things I'd love to experiment with in Monterey Phoenix is maybe Kozilek's return as mm -hmm. something to help against humans yeah. in particular, specifically Oriok champion. Because Which, it's colorless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Oriac Champion beats um, Anger of the Gods. It, it definitely does. And uh, Kozlok's Return is an instant speed sweeper, which there aren't a ton of. So you can yeah. sometimes get a Hardened Scales player or someone like that when they're moving counters over. You can get them and all of a sudden they're left with nothing. Yeah. That's a little more fringe, but it does have its utility being instant speed. Also, what's good about Kozlak's Return is it only deals two damage, which and also it provides a prowess trigger, unlike your Swiss Spear. And so your Swiss Spear doesn't die when you cast it. Nor your Soulscar Mage. Yeah, it's, same yeah. deal. Yeah, so those it's a great spell for that because it can wipe out your opponent's board of their low toughness creatures, but then the Prowess Trigger gets your creatures out of range. Yeah, and even if it maybe gets rid of some of your Phoenixes, unlike Anger, it doesn't exile them, so you could very likely still get a Phoenix back that turn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the other new card I might want to look into for sideboards is one we're definitely going to talk about later in more detail, but I'm just going to plant the seed. I wonder if Leyline of Combustion might belong in the sideboard as well. So yeah, I forgot to mention some of the newer cards that are we're seeing in Dredge and kind of what I thought about the changes. Um, so one of the changes has was the addition of a Hogak, and to support that, it the deck had added a third Golgari Thug and the Hogak, and to do that they shaved a fourth Prize Amalgam and the main deck Dark Blast. And so one of the things that I didn't really get a great chance to do was cast a lot of Hogaks. I think I cast two out of, you know, eight matches I played out of all the games. It did really good work against Hollow One, but broadly I felt two, when you always have to have two black creatures on the battlefield, which wasn't happening a ton for me the entire weekend anyway. But, you know, there's just a lot of limitations to doing that. And Hogak does, you know, mildly dilute the dredge engine when you put that card in there. And one of the things about the fourth prize amalgam is that's a card that gets sideboarded out a lot. So, you know, having three means that you don't kind of have that easy option to shave that card without kind of ruining your, your, your creature combat ability. And so I found that to be kind of a limitation because I was like, well, I'm always shaving that fourth Amalga, but I'm typically sideboarding, but not having that fourth means what do I take out now? Um, one of the things that I also saw on the sideboard with Sodex deck recently was a couple of Thoughtseize, but one of the, and I really would have loved to have that, something that I had ran in the past to fight against combo decks, especially with Dredge is very weak too. I personally lost to Neoform combo 
and Amulet Titan. The Amulet Titan, I did somehow take a game and came within two life of taking the third game. But, you know, Titan gets there uh, way more often than not against Dredge. And I really would love that Thoughtseize tech. But the mana base now, especially with something like Blast Zone and Forgotten Cave, you just don't have enough turn one black sources or even turn two black sources for me to be very comfortable running Thoughtseize. But I really would like to because it's so weak against combo. And maybe that's something where um, Stain the Mind is sort of making a little bit of a comeback where you can, invoke, you can convoke it and then peel those cards out of the deck without even having to see them. I played against an elf deck running Stain the Mind, and they took Karn twice, and it absolutely won the game both times. Yeah, I was sitting brutal. next to you uh, during that. It was during that three-round uh, uh, side event, and I saw that happen. I was like, ooh, snap, that seems spicy. But I did love Forgotten Cave. It was super nice to have like a little bit of an engine where I was able to cast Life from the Loam, get it back out of the graveyard, and then instantly cycle it with a single red mana to dredge off just a Loam if it was in there, let alone something like a Stinkweed Amp or a, you know, or a Golgari Thug. So being able just to have that little Forgotten Cave engine was really slick, and I think it's a great addition to the deck. But I think... If I was going to play Dredge again, I'd probably just go back to not having a Hogak, having the fourth Amalgam, have the main deck Dark Blast, which is so handy against, you know, small creature style decks and run it like that. But I'm also not Sodek. Like, you know, he's the one who's playing this deck, you know, probably five, six, seven leagues a week, if not more. And so I'm going to trust his experience more than mine. I'm just giving you my anecdotal experience and how I felt about it. Shane, I hope this makes you feel better, but I think our podcast would be very different if you were Sodek and he was on the show. And frankly, I prefer you. <laughs> I don't know if he speaks English, so that might be one of the big. Well, he does a bit. I, I watched him stream. He speaks okay. a bit of English, um, but it's really the time zone difference that uh, I'm mostly concerned with. He's in Europe. So, Stan, uh, let's talk about your weekend a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So, like I mentioned earlier, Friday was all about Mono Red Phoenix for me. I'm not really going to rehash that conversation. I pretty much agree with everything Dave said since we talked about it a lot. Nice. Play bad, think good. That's where we're at. Play bad, think good. Play, Play bad, bad, think good. It sounds like a new button. Yeah. <laughs> it is a new button. Play bad, think good. <laughs> yeah, I think what's interesting is that you and I had a similar start where we had like a really hot Friday with the Phoenix, but then I just... I abandoned the deck. Yeah. Moved on to all my other plans, and you kind of stuck with it. Yeah. Well, it just got less appealing for me to try Mardu or... Blue Eye Control, I was like, I'm not up for it. Yeah. So then Saturday morning, I decided to play Skelemental as my test. Skelemental! I went one and two. I beat Eldrazitron in the first round. Then I lost to, is it Phoenix? And then I lost to Affinity. So after round one, I came across Stan having just demolished, I think, an Eldrazitron yeah. deck. Yeah. And... He had the this wild look on his on his eyes. <laughs> the look that I yeah. <laughs> He's like he looks deranged and unfed. He's been chasing the skeletal again. <laughs> I saw his look on his eyes and I was like, I know what you're thinking right now. And he's like, if I 201 with this deck, I'm just playing at the MCQ. I was like, I knew it. And then he just wandered back into the crowd to tell other people of his plans. Stan, you look real sweaty right now. <laughs> well, my round one opponent was after I beat him, was very encouraging. And he was like, yeah, you have to play this in the MCQ. No one's going to expect it. Also, the story's going to be fantastic. And I was pretty into that plan. But then Is It Phoenix killed me and Affinity killed me. And I basically realized that I have to stick to Old Faithful. I came to win. It's going to be my best chance. And certainly the deck I have the most experience with. Um, 
So then in the MCQ, I lost the first round to Jund, which is a really bad feeling. I hate losing round one, and it kind of makes your opponent match win percentage through the, the remainder of the event kind of sketchy. But then uh, I turned things around, and I, I won the next few rounds. I was doing pretty well. I For the first time ever, I won an Is It Phoenix Mirror, which is something I always struggled with. I actually had to play two Is It, Mirror, is it Phoenix Mirrors in the MCQ, and I won both of them. Um, so that was pretty good, but then I had probably my worst beat of the weekend, my one bad beat story for the podcast. Uh, I was paired up against humans. Um, I felt like I still had a top eight berth potential, um, but I misplayed horribly. Could have played a Blood Moon on an empty board when my opponent had four non-basics and no Aether Vial. And I had two islands and a dual land out. Blood Moon in my hand, and I just didn't do it. I just played a Phoenix. I wanted to, or rather, I just played a thing in the ice. I thought I should apply some pressure. That was a big mistake. My opponent crawled back very quickly and knocked me out. Uh, so that was that. It reminded me that, you know, there's still some important sequencing decisions to play with as a Phoenix. I still have to really pay attention to the board state, consider my plan, consider my deck's plans. Some of the changes that I think I might make to Is It Phoenix moving forward is uh, I really need to spend more time thinking about how and when to play Aria because there are a few games where I really felt like I missed Pyromancer's Ascension and I really felt like Aria Flame lost me games. Yeah, there's very little has made me as happy as sitting on my patio last night at like 11 o'clock with like the umbrella lights on talking about Aria Flame yeah. <laughs> with my three favorite co-hosts hey. of my Hit Magic the Gathering podcast to dive down. Yeah, I'm glad we don't talk about your other podcasts with your other co-hosts. <laughs> I'm Come still on. surprised to hear this from you. Like, you've been kind of a long time meh on Aria Flame. Well, the thing about it is I think it's high ceiling, low floor. You know, unlike Pyromancer's Ascension, I think Aria Phoenix can lose you games because you give your opponent sometimes a couple extra turns with that 10 life. Uh, it's really cool and it feels broken when you cast Aria Flame and respond to the trigger and deal like two, three, or four damage on the spot. Ooh. But that doesn't always work out. And sometimes, so prior to this event, I DM'd friend of the show, Ross Miriam, and I just asked him really quick what his thoughts were on Aria specifically, because it's just something that I was really having trouble assessing. And he gave me some heuristics, like for instance, that he prefers playing it early. He doesn't like playing more than two. Um, and I wanted to come into this tournament you know, with the plan of assessing Aria Flame, testing it, trying to understand it better. And I just, I don't know, there were games where like, I wasn't sure if I should side it out, where it was best. And the difference with Ascension was that felt like a card that was kind of easy to side out occasionally because it's mm -hmm. so vulnerable to graveyard hate, knowing what I can take out of my 60 to make room for my cyborg cards is kind of a relief. That's a great point. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, it gets back to my, my prize amalgam example earlier, which is like, I know when this can come out and it's kind of an easy shave sometimes. Do you think that Aria of Flame maybe belongs in the sideboard for slower matchups? Like, you can't take turn three off to cast it against certain decks, can you? Give burn 10 life. Sure, great. Yeah, I don't know. Like, part of the challenge for me has been, and something I want to keep thinking about and working on, is figuring out which matchups it's best against. Because one matchup where I thought it would be pretty good was Blue-White Control, a deck that I played against three times over the course of the weekend. Oof. And, you know, when you give your Blue-White opponent 10 life and then they Detention Spirit, you kind of just feel horrible. Oh, yeah, you just lost. Yeah. yeah. So 
I'm not saying Arya is bad. I'm not ready to say it doesn't belong in Phoenix, but I think it's a card that people really need to be careful with. I think it's a card people need to practice with to understand when it's best. And um, maybe it's a card like you have to play around yourself, kind of like playing around your own blood moons. Uh, as for Skelemental, I think I'm going to keep that as my FNM deck for now because it's really fun. I love being the Skelemental guy. I don't know if it's a tournament deck yet. Maybe the Skelemental Hollow One amalgamations I've been seeing in the 5-0 lists, maybe even in like a modern challenge. Mm -hmm. I think maybe that could be the direction the deck is in. But uh, that's a weird deck where I kind of love it, game one, being like this weird, off-the-wall, aggressive, disruptive strategy, and then siding into a Liliana package, and you play like this mid-range control grind fest. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really fun. I'm committed to it. I bought a playset of Black Leaf Clips this morning while I was still in bed. From me. <laughs> yeah, I, I Venmoed Shane money and then walked into the kitchen and we were in our underwear and I was like, uh, hey, check your phone. I just sent you some money. <laughs> you thought about it long and hard, woke up this morning, decided to buy the Black Leaf Clips. Yeah. Yeah, all in all, I was 6-5-2 for the weekend. Not bad. I, yeah. feel, I feel pretty good. I got to play all of my decks for the most part. I brought Green Black Elves. I never even took it out of the deck box, which I think is where it belongs. Not for a surprise me for you, now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was really fun. Like just playing a bunch of decks, hanging out with my three favorite co-hosts, meeting fans of the show. And just like, I like grinding competitive Ariel events. This yeah. is a second or third MCQ of the year for me. Like I've been doing a lot of these types of events this year. It's, it's my second GP of the year. And just like, I have a little bit of mental practice, you know, like one of the things we, I don't think we've touched on yet is, you know, doing these competitive Ariel events is so mentally draining yeah. that I think having experience doing them kind of gives you a little bit more stamina to do more of them. Absolutely. You need to build up your fortitude for something like this. Mm -hmm. like you really need to bring snacks, bring beverages, water. I mean, when I say beverages and just really be on top of it and be ready to sit there and grind. Yeah. I don't want to point any fingers across the table, but I kind of feel like I wouldn't have made that horrible Blood Moon misplay if I had these caffeinated cliff bars that were softly promised to me. But <laughs> so it goes. Lessons learned. Buy your own cliff bars. End of line. I gave you a kind bar. Was that after the Blood Moon misplay, though? I don't remember, actually. Uh, I don't remember. Hmm. Uh, so are you, is like the next time you try an event like this, are you still going to be on, is it Phoenix, you think? Almost certainly, or? I will almost certainly be on a Phoenix deck. I think Mono Red Phoenix is still really strong. And one of the reasons why I went with Is It Phoenix over Mono Red was because like, I feel like Is It Phoenix has fewer bad matchups mm -hmm. and it can sideboard into a controlling strategy that can give you play across a lot of decks. Whereas Mono Red Phoenix is a strategy that I feel has like some truly horrible matchups that are near unwinnable. And um, not to rehash your, you know, all your points on Mono Red, while we were talking this weekend, like it felt like you were losing to some of the decks that you were supposed to beat and yeah. then beating some of the decks like Bogles, for instance, that you're supposed to lose against. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. Yeah, but, I had some things that definitely went counter to the normal percentages, I think. Yeah. It would be interesting to me if modern gets back to a place or is a place where having flexibility is more important than having a very powerful linear game plan. Like, you know, Jund is seeing a little bit of a resurgence. It's a 50% plus ish deck right now. And, you know, when dredge folds to, 
you know, a litany of hate that's out there. If Mono Red Phoenix is having a lot of trouble against life gain style effects, and then, you know, if you have the ability, like Stan said, with Is It Phoenix to pivot into some of your controlling sideboard cards, if other, you know, blue white controls, essentially a very sort of reactive, mid rangey, slight, slightly controlling deck, if those are the decks that are now in the, you know, 50 plus, then that's a good place, I think, for modern to be. But I'd be surprised if it becomes the better choice than just trying to, you know, enact your strategy and try to avoid the hate. Did you just call blue white control a mid range? I think slightly controlly deck. I think blue white blue white control is the best mid range deck in the format. No, that's I'm funny. Just, I don't think you've played against it enough. Mm. If you're feeling that way. Yeah. yeah, I played against Jun this weekend, like I said, and seeing what Jun can do and like how it can out mid range me was a, a welcome reminder that that deck like has so many tools against so many strategies. The absolute last thing I want to mention about Is It Phoenix is I, I tried one new card in my 75 that I had never played with before because Shane recommended I give Sahili Sublime Artificer a try, and it full-on won me a match against Blue-White Control. I was really impressed with what that card can do. And it's really funny playing a three-mana walker with five loyalty that I never activate. And it's, just, <laughs> yeah. it's just sitting there like an enchantment that just like draw, gets me a ton of value, and I was able to punish an opponent who... Uh, for some reason, decided to sign out all of their board wipes against me. So here we are, feeling good about ourselves. Yeah. I never got to get... I got like one Sahili token the whole mm-hmm. weekend, but... I'm, I'm really excited to move on to Zach, though, because not only did Zach do the best out of all of us in the MCQ, uh, but also I think he played one of the more novel and powerful decks that's been popping up recently. The main event has arrived, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Zach Callhan is here to regale you with Tales of Wonder and Splendor. <laughs> So I ended and up, modesty. And, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> so I ended up going 4-2 at the event. Uh, I got 600 prize ticks, so hey, a little more than I paid in. Woo! Great job. Plus, plus EV. Yeah, <laughs> I'm cashing out, ladies and gentlemen, I'm cashing out. So um, I played against, is it Phoenix twice, Burn, Red White Prison, uh, Mono Green Tron Ad, and Ad Nauseum. My two losses were the Red White Prison and Tron. I found that the MVP for me, full stop, was Leyland of Combustion. Yeah, so so let's talk about that for a minute because you didn't have that in your deck on Friday. No, I did not. So yeah, on Friday when we played in the the three rounds that we did, I found that I was getting really close to killing people and always had that little bit left. So I was getting there, but they'd find a way to either break out of the lock or have some sort of thing that got around the lock. Right. So the changes I made going to Saturday where I added three Eidolon and the Great Revel to my main board. It's a huge change. And three Leyland Combustion to the side, as well as a six-drop Chandra. Shout out to friend of the show, T, for hooking me up. Way to go, T. What did you take out of your deck? Yeah, those cards? that's the... So I shaved Legion Warboss. Okay. And I realized I was running 22 land. So I, I went down to 21. So Leyland Combustion, MVP versus the two is it my first three matches were is it Phoenix and burn and Leyline hands down won me those games Yeah, it seems like it's designed to a hundred percent So I'm going to go ahead and just read the text for the land in case anybody's confused So land of combustion two and two red enchantment if Leyland of combustion is in your opening hand You may begin the game with it on the battlefield Whenever you and or at least one permanent you control becomes a target of a spell or ability in opponent controls Leyland of Combustion deals two damage to that player. So this does get around Hexproof, as it is not targeting the Leyland's dealing the damage. Mm-hmm. 
And so does this mean if someone plays like a forked bolt and hits a creature and you, they're still only taking two? Only two, yes. It doesn't trigger separately. Okay. But what it really did for me was against Aria Flame. Because they, right, so I had I had one out and the opponent at first was charging themselves with their Aria triggers because they didn't want to take the two damage. And at that point it was just, oh, I, I'm probably going to win. Like right. if because eventually when they're even hitting you for five, they're taking two. And the thing with Leyline I found, even casting it later, not bad. Right. Like I was able to get one in my opening hand that I drew one naturally and it's just, okay, now every time you target me, you take four. Yep. And that's definitely how I took down Burn as well, where I got him to a point where I had a ley line out and they're at two. So they have to play a creature because any spell, because it, it triggers off them casting it. Right. So they go to bolt me, they take two and die for the bolting results. Right. And also I found that the Eidolon was incredibly good as well. So I think that these changes really pushed Prison, which I mentioned I'm playing earlier, into where it needs to be. So I wouldn't honestly make any changes to my deck at this point. The Eidolon and the Leyline really push it to a point where the opponent is constantly being dinged. And so even if they can get around your, your lock or find ways to poke you, they're still taking damage for doing that. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, I don't know if you're ready to talk about it yet, but we talked a lot about your Karn decisions right. this weekend. And I think that I think that's where a lot of the edges lie. And can you talk a little, little bit about your experiences with Karn? Absolutely, I can. So I feel like Karn was very amazing. I only made one misplay the entire time where I upticked Karn to try to be safe. So not downtick him and have him die to a Lightning Helix against a red white prison but then they ripped a sorcerer spyglass from the top and named card mm. so maybe i should have grabbed a walking bluster or something there and, not, and been a little more aggressive but overall it was really good i found myself relying on his plus one a little more to be able to turn opponents things into artifacts and then destroy them mm -hmm. against ad nauseum for instance they had a phyrexian unlife that was hard for me to deal with but ripped in a braid from the top plus car and abrade it go off the races wow yeah exactly so I feel like I've gotten a lot better with Karn. There's still obviously room for me to grow, but I am no longer sort of hemming and hawing, and I feel like I made a lot of good choices with them. What did you find yourself grabbing the most out of like the, your, your wishboard package? That's a good question. I found myself grabbing most consistently a liquid metal coating. Yeah. That was absolutely an all-star this weekend. Some people run one in the main. I've been considering that. Yeah, I've heard even in green wish Karn um, that people are saying, if you don't know exactly what you need on that turn to like lock out someone or stop their initial threat, is just grab liquid metal coating because it's so flexible. I agree. And but what do you do with it? Well, don't you turn their lands into artifacts? Anything then, in artifacts. You, well, yeah, you turn well, you turn the land into an artifact and then use Karn to make it into a zero zero creature. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's kind of that's kind of so, a big game. So Karn's plus one, you turn target non-creature artifact into a creature equal to its converted mana cost okay. power and toughness okay so land becomes a zero zero dies of state-based actions wow so that was really good against burn where i had uh i got a chalice out on one and i was able to start blowing up their lands wow. to where they'd only ever have one at a time chalice on one you can't cast anything right. so it's really good at pushing them on the back foot and honestly so i grabbed that the most what i grabbed the least was trinosphere Mm -hmm. I only ever grabbed it in the Friday event against Stan, never in the MCQ. So I think I might take Trinisphere out. Don't know what I'm going to put in yet. Maybe a second six-drop Chandra, but who knows. Do you think that's because Leyline of Combustion is better than Trinisphere in those matchups? I do. I do indeed. It's harder to destroy. Yeah. Definitely for those decks. And Trinisphere, like, you can eventually get around it. And, like, it does 
often uh, make them only do one spell a turn, but they're still casting it and nothing else is happening. With Leyland, they're casting it and taking the two, and sometimes with Eidolon, taking four. Mm -hmm. So I was at three Leyland Combustion on my side. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. We have a friend of the show who's considering going up to four. I would maybe be hesitant about that, but three Eidolon main, three Leyland on the side, spell decks got no chance. And one thing I wanted to get back to, Dave, your question about liquid metal coding is the static ability of Karn. Yeah, yes. you can't You can't activate abilities of artifacts. So if you turn someone else's planeswalker right. into an artifact. So the thing is, yeah, you stop on their upkeep and make Narset into an artifact. Yeah. No Narset this turn. I think we talked about that actually during their, um, we talked about that that particular move during the spoiler episode. With right. Karn. So yeah, I love also Karn absolutely won me the game against Ad Nauseam because they can't activate their mana rocks anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So get a Blood Moon out, get a Karn out, you're not making anything. And right. like, it just rode that guy to victory. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I had a... So the thing I was going to say is, you know, Zach didn't quite mention it, but he was, you were 3 0. Yes. So I, we were definitely all just like, do, keep, do yeah. it, do it, do it. Yeah. And just to paint the picture a little more, Zach was 3 0 6 0. 3 0 6 0. And he comes up to me and is like, I would be 0 3 if not for Leyland of Combustion. And I have all this extra time on my hands between rounds and, and, prize wall tickets in my pocket that I run to the prize wall and just pick up two land of combustion. Yeah. Just as I was like, maybe this card is the real deal. Yeah. I'll bet on it. So I was 3-0 and I literally go, guys, if I don't play Tron, I think I can 6-0 this tournament. I think I can do it. Yeah. Round four, model green Tron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that one, so my bad beat story was game one, I get the early rival master into blood moon. That's what I need to win. I win. It's great. Right. Game two, I am able to get down early Spyglass, see his hand, no green mana, but a Nature's Claim. Right. So get down a Blood Moon, feeling great. He rips a Forest, Nature's Claim, and then later rips another Nature's Claim to kill my bridge, swing with Worm Coil. Bah. Yeah. So a yeah. little bit of bad beat, but it's a hard matchup for me because you do need Chalice early, but they can just still get around it anyway. The whole thing with Tron is you really need your fast cards. And that's a matchup where Seasoned Pyromancer wasn't that great, but I did find it to be really good otherwise. And I'm running two right now and happy yeah. with that number. Yeah. So overall, I had a good time. We'll see what I get with my price tickets today. I'm sure that I'll post about it everywhere I post about things, but I had a really good time. It was fun to play at a comp, a comp event. I don't get to do that too often. Yeah. Proud of you, Zach. Thank you. Are you ready to do to run this deck back again next time? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like I said, I would maybe make a few changes to the sideboard. Yep. Like I would, I would take out the Trinosphere. I have one now, and I like, like that I have it, but I would want something that I'd want to search for more often. Honestly, maybe even a second Walking Ballista or something like right. that. I found that to be an all-star this weekend as well. Are you ready to sell your foil screds into the hype? Oh, heck no. But unreal, yeah. I mean, that card's like 20 bucks now. So I guess I'm going to sit on it and then like one day, I don't know, take, take my girlfriend on a destination vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, I'm so proud of you. Keeping the dream alive. Thank you. It was fun sitting next to you for some games. It was fun sitting next to all of my co-hosts like for random matches throughout the weekend because we're just like flexing with our dive down play match. Yeah, yeah. Made us easy to find for it's some a, of our listeners. It's fun to look over across the hall and wave to Dave or wave to Shane. Yeah. Hey, you're over there. Yeah. Now we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to wind down with a listener question. Stay with us. So in our super secret Slack channel that we're always talking about on the show, so it's not very secret Worst anymore. Worst kept secret and modern. <laughs> it's a gated community. Ron Liberated asked, what would be the modern Power 9? 
So for those not original with super old cards, the original Power 9 are nine rare cards that were found in Alpha, Beta, and Unlimited. And they were, and probably still are, considered the best, most powerful cards ever printed. And that includes Black Lotus, that includes the Moxon, the main color Moxon, Time Twister, Time Walk, and Ancestral Recall. <sighs> Seeing this list just makes me so sad for my past. <laughs> like there's cards you outed a little bit too early. Cards I sold when I was 16 that I wish I had kept until I was 40. You got a, you got a sick mixer though. <laughs> yeah, I did. I got a sick sa audio sampling machine. I thought it was to buy Grateful Dead tickets. Is that not That's true? That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a really interesting trend with these nine cards in that none of them are creatures, and they're really essentially either card advantage or resource acceleration cards. Yeah, they cheat on mana, they cheat on card draw, you know, the fundamental sort of rules of magic. Yeah, also creatures weren't as good back then, and spells were way more powerful, so that factors in as well. Sure. The last thing I would say is that many people kind of feel like Time Twister and Time Walk are sort of in a different category than the, the rest of the list. The sure. Moxes, Black Lotus, and Ancestral Recall, I think, are much more powerful than yeah. those those two cards. Yeah. But. Hmm. yeah, but I don't know if that would necessarily hold true for the modern Power Nine. Like, I think there may be at least one creature on that list. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. And to start, let's maybe consider what our criteria would be for a modern Power Nine. Yeah, one of the things that I know kind of when we initially just sort of started answering or started thinking about it, I know we sort of started thinking about just kind of the more ubiquitous utility one mana spells. You know, we have things like uh, Ancient Stirrings, we have things like Serum Visions, we have Bolts, and like, shouldn't those be in the Power Nine? But then like, that kind of gets to me, my personal criteria would be like, you know, the, there's a cost criteria. Like mm. there's just that sort of, you know, like you open that in a pack and you're going to be super happy about it. Like it's not just a card that's in a ton of decks. It's something that's like it has sort of either a... A mythos? Yeah, a mythos, a legacy about it, kind of, a, you know, Tarmogoyf being like a $150 card or something. Once like upon that. a time. Once upon a time, yeah. So like all these things... bulk rare again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I use it as a coaster. <laughs> so to me, that was kind of like my criteria is like a combination of power level, cost, ubiquitousness, sort of just historical placement in the format. What do you guys think about that? What would what would be your criteria for what's like a modern power nine? I I think that for me it's things that quote unquote cheat on the fundamental rules of the game. Mm. I.e., we understand magic to work a certain way, and this card causes it to work a different way. Mm. So that's why for me personally, I would include something like Simeon Spirit Guide in my power nine. Even though it's a common, it does things that you're not allowed to do or typically don't do. I didn't think about that. That's that's a definitely a different spin. On like the idea of power nine, it kind of gets back to even more like the original concept. Of That's it. what I'm saying exactly. Yeah. Like a black lotus cheats on the idea of you only usually get one mana a turn, but wait, what about three or ancestral visions? Recall. Recall is a draw three. Yeah, yeah. you normally you draw one card a turn. Yeah, but what if you drew three cards a turn? Yeah, or four with that card. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, and I think it's interesting if you look at the top cards by price. On goldfish in the modern format. How do you find that? I was looking for that. It is under uh, prices, price lists, total format, cost, and then you can just make sure you have the right tab open. So if we were to go just by cost, why don't we do this for fun? Sure. The top nine cards in cost, regardless of what type of card they are, are Jace the Mind Sculptor at $130 a copy, Scalding Tarn at $100, Mox Opal at $100, Liliana the Veil at $80. Dark Confidant at 75. Dark Confidant somehow is the fifth most expensive card in modern right now. I have Shocking. three I need to move ASAP. I yes. Think. Cavern of Souls, Verdant Catacombs, 
Chalice of the Void and Misty Rainforest it would be the the Power Nine by it, cost alone. Because this is this is actually a lot of what in like my list matches up with yep. most of this. Pretty close. You have yeah. fetch lands on your list. Yeah, there's, there's one. There's one. Yeah, there's one thing is just fetches, just for a small spoiler. I yeah, I think all the fetches are you could group them together as one yeah. thing instead of giving them all their own slot. Yeah. I think fetch is part of it for sure. I also think Chalice of the Void, in yeah, my opinion, is no, definitely part of the modern Power Nine. Yeah, like so. Hold on. So let's just let's just get into this. We're referencing it. So here was my kind of initial Power Nine with like the the cost plus power, not thinking about cheating the rules that much. Um, uh, which I think Zach's idea is actually a good one. I think allows some stuff to say about some of my choices. So I have Snap, Caster Mage, Tarmogoyf. Even though its price has dropped, it just is so much of a historical important card to the format. Jason Mine Sculptor, Karn Liberated. I just put the fetches in one big category. Mox Opal, which does cheat. 100%. Liliana of the Veil, Cavern of Souls, which sort of cheats, and Chalice of the Void. So that's my power nine. I think it's just the cards that have been around in the format for a long time, have done a lot of work, besides Jason Mind Sculptor, has only been around for a little bit, but has done a lot of work. So all these cards just are things that I, you know, they do a lot of heavy lifting in the format and aren't cheap. I think that personally, I, I don't have a list that I, we could go over in advance. Sure. I tend to agree a little bit more with what Zach is saying. So I think my my list tends to look a little bit more like a mix of expensive cards and cheap cards. So sure. I, I think Simeon Spirit Guide would be on there. It's definitely Mox Opal. I think Aether Vial you could probably throw on there. So, yeah. so if you start mm -hmm. to go down that path, mm -hmm. my list starts to look a little bit more like the cards that we use to define as pillars of the format. Yeah. The thing that's different about that from the what the traditional Power 9 is, is that the traditional Power 9 were cards that once you had them in a format where they were available, you played them in any deck you played. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you, if you play Vintage, for real, right? Not, I mean, I'm not an expert, All so I'm not going to say all this. There. Yeah, exactly. Well, there are a lot of people online who play Vintage, well, and they do literally cheaper. Right, exactly. But And so some decks play a lot of the Moxes, some decks only play a selection of the Moxes, so I'm not quite sure how that's shaken out in the meta the way that it is. But in my mind... When I had those cards, I just put them in every deck that I played. I was like, every deck I put together, whatever it is, these go in first, and you just you just play it with there. And that's a much harder to do. Fortunately, that's something that's much harder to do in modern because there are just nine cards that go in every deck, unless you just want to say that the fetch lands are the power nine, and that's all there is. And it's really the power ten. <laughs> yeah. And or faithless looting. Yes. Yeah. Pretty important. In every deck. Yeah. Yeah. One of the creatures that I would consider for this list is Primeval Titan. Even though it's not like so widely ubiquitous, it's in what maybe three or four decks. It just feels like a really impactful creature that is also doing some cheaty stuff and yeah. how it accelerates your resources. It, it breaks the rules of what we understand magic to be. Typically, you get one land drop, not three. Yeah, or how about four if you give haste? <laughs> <you know>? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have, as I'm like filling out my list as we're talking here, it's like Mox Opal, Aether Vial, Simeon Spiritide, Faith of Saluting, Primeval Titan. I think I agree. It's like it's a pillar. Ancient Stirrings is another one. Yeah, I want to say one of the newer cards that crossed my mind was Teferi Hero Dominaria in terms of a card that just like takes over the game, kind of cheats, and nah. my friends are shaking their head. Three drop Teferi. Everybody's loving three drop yeah. Teferi. Oh, Lord. right, right. Three well, drop Teferi. Oh, I thought, I don't even think Teferi Time Raveler is always that great. Sometimes I, it's I agree great. with you, Shane. It's, Sometimes it's great. It's great in the right decks, but it feels like Teferi will just take over any game. And Big Teferi takes over any game, and Little Teferi takes over some games if you play him correctly. 
I have one thing to add to that price list that I read off earlier. Apparently, is is missing um, oh. Modern Horizons. So mm. Goldfish, oh. there's there's something weird going on with data. Because one card that crossed my mind for Power Nine that's new is Ren and Six. Ren and Six. Because oh. it's power, power and price yeah. for me was kind of like, well, it's really expensive and everybody loves it. It costs two mana. It's yeah. only in a ton of different decks, and yeah. so the only two mana Walker. Yeah, the only playable two mana Walker. <laughs> what do we just not talk about Tibble? The only ever printed two mana Walker. <laughs> Leave, leave me and my son alone. Yeah. <laughs> Forget about me. I'm Tibble. Tibble was retconned out of canon. Tibble died on the way back to his home planet. He was snapped out of existence by yeah. by Thalia. Hmm. So, so what's our big takeaway from the Modern Power 9? How are we going to use this to be better modern Well, players? wait. I didn't, what about me? What about Zach? Oh, oh I'm sorry, Zach. I, I thought you touched on so, this. Uh, I thought it was just nine copies of Simeon's period. It's, okay. So, as I only want to talk about one card and to go out on this. And... I surprise no one, Blood Moon, hear me out, <laughs> because people have to respect it. <laughs> so seriously, like, if you think somebody had Blood Moon, you have to start fetching for basics, you right. have to be smart about it. So it also changes the rules of magic, in which I have a land that says Island Plains. No, actually, it's a mountain now. Yeah. So I, the power level is maybe not as high as some of the other cards, but I think it's a card that it's a good card, and if you think someone has it, you have to be aware of it, or it's going to cost you a game. Yeah. So... Obviously, the cards I mentioned are all in the deck I play, but that's why I play because I think it has a lot of very powerful, very good cards. Yeah, Zach's power nine for modern is uh, Leyline of Combustion, number one, mm-hmm. Chalice of the Void, number two, <laughs> Card the Great Creator, Card the Great Creator, Chalice of the Void, Chalice, and then the Michael, and then the Wish card package. Yeah, so, yeah, all the rest of the cards <laughs> yeah, and the Power Nine, latest yeah. metal coating, yeah. <laughs> yeah, liquid metal coating, Thank Power Nine, <laughs> whoever num- sneaking in at number nine, nine yeah. But yeah, I, I think overall, uh, why I think the cards, a few cards I mentioned are, to reiterate, anything that changes what you understand to be magic is that good and should be considered in that hierarchy of cards. And importantly, this conversation has no definitive answer. It's just something fun to talk about, uh, the, the original spirit of the wind down, to just sort of uh, have some fun chatting about magic. Yeah, so future questionnaires and questionnaires want to test our creative acumen and see how far we can go in imagining, you know, the potential of our favorite format. Maybe that can guide some of the future questions you send our way as well. Absolutely. I also want to encourage our listeners to reach out to us on Twitter and say what their own Modern Power 9 might be. I love yeah. to hear other people's takes on this work. Yeah. I think it's hard to share a list in an episode, and so it'd be fun to see what other people think their yeah. list would be. I will say, as a, as a closing thought, it looks like the one thing that was on everybody's Power 9 was Mox Opal. That's funny. Yeah. No, Absolutely. Not even a question. Surprise. Yeah, for me, the hardest are good. Yeah. For me, the hardest thing is is ignoring Lightning Bolt from that list because yeah. it's just, I don't know, the most played card in modern. It seems like I don't know if it's power nine material. It's, it's, like, it's hard though. It's hard. It's like the identity of, of the identity of the format in some ways. Yeah, and like, I don't know, but there's sometimes when Bolt's not that good, right? It's good right now though, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there'll <laughs> ever be a time when Bolt will be good ever again. I just think it's less good sometimes now that it's not good. Sure. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Very special live episode of the Dive Down. We the had, Live Down. The Live Down. We had an awesome audience of uh, Derby the Cat, the neighbor's dog, Jaeger. <laughs> um, we're probably going to wait a long while before we do one of these again, but not because we don't like it, but because of the realities of where everyone is located in the country and in Chicago and in their lives being fathers or not fathers. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episode as soon as it comes out, live or not. 
And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or prick our brain on anything in modern, feel free to tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. We're on Reddit every week. Feel free to send us a message there as well. In the you can find us in the modern magic subreddit where, every we, post, where we post every Friday. Also, I think we should just take one more. Moment here to thank everybody who we saw at Grand Prix Denver this weekend who came up to tell us that they enjoy the podcast and that they appreciate the work that we put into it. That means a lot to us. And it was really great to meet people in person and put names to faces and meet new people that we haven't talked to before. Yeah, it was very humbling and very fun to play against some fans as well. I really enjoyed it. We have some great listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Like one of the best ways to get over a bad beat is being approached by someone who says that they like the show that you make with your friends. And it's just like, oh, this this is like half the reason why I came here was to talk to our listeners. So absolutely. So thanks again. Also, remember to join our Patreon, patreon.com slash the dive down, all one word. Patreon. (laughs) Patreon. Hogak. That's right. As Shane mentioned, we are mailing out our first big box of envelopes and packages to uh, our patrons. We're going to be sending more stuff out very soon. Keep an eye on your mailboxes. And thanks again. And if you want to support the show, check us out. Patreon.com slash The Dive Down. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and spike Ah. Journey! Dive down. Okay. I was recording that live. That's our outtake. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs>